everyone and welcome back to the Manic Manor podcast. This is Mitchie. So for today's episode, we're going to go across the ocean into another world. We're back in Japan, so it's been a while. We haven't done an episode on Japan since we did the case of Junko Furuta. So I thought it would be kind of nice to go back in because we've done quite a few episodes on cases in South Korea with um the Inth Rooms and, you know, the Seoul Subway Murder. We've done the Jijampa way back in the day when we first started the podcast. And we've also done um, um, what is uh, supposedly Korea's first serial killer in modern times. So we're going to go back and do um, a case in Japan. Now this uh, case is coined as the Osaka uh, sister killer, or the youngest serial killer, or one of the youngest serial killers in Japan's history, and also one of the youngest serial killers to be executed in Japanese history. And this person's name is Yukio Yamaji. So let's dive right into this case, shall we? Hopefully it'll actually be a fairly short case today. So, Yukio Yamaji was born August 21st, 1983, and his family wasn't very well off by any means. Um, They were actually considered fairly poor. Uh, They grew up, or he grew up, in the city of Yamaguchi in Japan, and he was an only child, but as I said, they didn't have very well means. Um, His father was an alcoholic, and due to the alcoholism that he suffered from, he ended up dying of cirrhosis of the liver when Yukio was uh, very young, actually, in 1995. So he was just of elementary school age when his father died. So that left Yukio's mother to kind of fend for herself and the family's finances from a very young age, and this had a great impact on this child's life. So to no surprise, the boy was extremely affected by this, and The family, like I said, struggled financially very bad. And the effects of this, it was like a domino effect. So financial struggles, the boy was really taking it hard, and he acted out in school a lot. So he wasn't a good student, and although he was shy and reserved, schoolmates and teachers said he would often lash out and it was often towards female counterparts that he would lash out towards and his violent tendencies through the years would tend to increase with his age and it didn't show any sign of decreasing. At one point they said he even um, smashed a window. They didn't say exactly what it was that he smashed it with but it was with enough force that he was able to actually break the window at his school. So between being violent with his female classmates, being antisocial, and not taking things well, he ended up not going to high school after um, completing middle school, so he kind of just dropped out and started looking for work after the fact, so he ended up finding work delivering newspapers around the town that he was living in and working for a local newspaper store. And while he was doing this around the time, he was about 
16, I think going on 17. And during his free time when he wasn't delivering these newspapers, he would kind of go around um, this toy store or convenience shop and hang around there. And he met the acquaintance of this 20-something-year-old woman. And they kind of hit it off and started talking a little bit. And eventually this relationship grew into something a bit more. And like I said, keep in mind, he's only 16 going on 17, and this is a 20-something-year-old woman. So even though this is like in the late 90s, early 2000s at this point, that's still pretty taboo, even for Japan. So very, very gross. But for Yukio, he's got a very antisocial personality. He's not had much communication with people, and he didn't go to high school. Like, he dropped out of school once he completed middle school, so he's not had much social socialization with any other kids. So for him, this is completely normal, and we're also taking into consideration that he doesn't really know love outside of his mother because his father's died, he doesn't talk to anybody, so this is something completely new to him, and he's completely infatuated. So we're also looking into how dangerous this can be. So he's completely enamored with this woman, so he sparks up, and this becomes really intimate really fast. So he's got the thrill with this being his first relationship, and he's all excited. Now, eventually this woman did end up breaking off the relationship with him, but he was so enamored and so infatuated with her, he still wanted to continue dating her. So maybe he became a little obsessed with her at this point. But um, Yukio's mother did eventually find out about this. Now, I'm sure she did not like that at all. And once she found out about it, of course, she was going to put a stop to this, and so she stepped in because, you know, her son is still a minor, and this is an adult woman who should not be, you know, talking to minors at all, and this is her son. But, you know, once Yukio finds out that his mom had found out about this, he was so enraged at her. And we've seen earlier just, you know how he doesn't have good control of his temper. In his school years, he's shown that he's prone to anger issues, he's broken windows, and he's shoved classmates. He's not good with his emotions. So he decided that if his mom was going to butt in with his quote-unquote personal affairs, he was going to have to do something about it. So that brings us to the day of July 16th, 2000. Now, Yukio came up behind his mother with a metal baseball bat and in complete and utter rage and total fury beat her over the head again and again. Now, the article stated that she stumbled walking over glass shards and Yukio just continued to swing the bat shattering not only her skull but nearby objects until she collapsed and he would go on to say that he just kept swinging and swinging and swinging and wasn't sure exactly when he stopped 
but she had multiple fractured ribs and she was beaten so bad that her face was unrecognizable by the time authorities would actually find her. So, it was complete ra uh, complete rage killing. Now, a few days after the attack, he called this woman that he had been wanting to see so bad with the intention of inviting her over for a nice lunch. So, she did come over for the lunch and everything, and he seemed more giddy than usual, like really excited, jumping around. And during the course of the meal and everything, he kept asking her really weird questions, stuff like, Do you smell blood? And it really put her off, because I guess he had like cleaned up like the initial scene, or he had her away from where the initial scene was. But somehow she ended up finding where the mother was, and completely appalled and freaked out and scared, she fled the place and called the police. And that's how they ended up finding the mother, and Yukio admitted right then and there that he had done it. And that's when he was arrested for this murder. So when he was taken in for questioning, he confessed to the killing. And his motive, the way that he explained it was, he was sick about his mother, complaining about his father because he was already dead, complaining about his debt and meddling within his business and trying to interrupt him with his first love. So cold and callous, the way that he did it. So his sentencing for it was just three years in a juvenile detention center because the courts thought a reformation for him was completely possible because he was only a mentally ill child. They cited, you know, the death of his father was very impactful for him and the financial struggles that the family had definitely could have had a major impact as well. So. Both of those they took into consideration and they were like, yeah, we can definitely put him in here and he will be reformed by the time he's a full-fledged adult and he'll be okay to be put back into society. So while he was in the detention center, he did very well, they said. Um, he gained some qualifications. Um, I think he got an education while he was in there. Um, they did um, some studying on him and found he had disorders that affected his ability to form relationships. Um, I don't know if they did any like other further mental studies on him at that time. They just came out and said, yeah, he has some trauma issues that prevent him from forming long-term relationships and that was about it. So he was in there for the three years. And initially, he said he did express remorse for the killing of his murder, uh, mother, excuse me. And when he was released, he was placed on probation and put in one of the correction and protection facilities. So he could celebrate a coming-of-age ceremony that would mark uh, his coming into adulthood in Japan. And after that coming-of-age ceremony... They said he vanished, but um, they marked that he had been living with a grandmother for some time, but it was an extremely short-lived amount of time, and then he was just like traveling again, kind of 
vagabond, like, jumping from place to place, just looking for somewhere to live. Um, at one point, they said he was working in a pachinko parlor, kind of like a little gambling facility, similar to, like, slot machines like you see in Vegas, where anybody who can um, just go in, put their money in, and, like, hope that they win something. But as the time passed, it seemed like his frustration with the world kind of only grew and grew like a cesspool of bacteria because it seemed like the crowd that he was surrounding himself with was just a bunch of like thieves and misfits that had nothing better to do with their time than hang around like what they s described as hostess clubs you know and drink cause mischief just like just be like the worst of the worst that they could be. I'm not saying like hostess clubs are bad. I'm just saying like they would just like be the worst of the worst in these clubs to these people who were just trying to make a living within these clubs where they're tr just trying to give people that come to these clubs company. They were just being super rude and shit and that's who Yukio was surrounding himself with. So at these clubs that he would go to with this group of friends that he had made, um, Yukio was still too shy to even speak to the women that were there, um, and he would even get more frustrated at these women who were trying to entertain him, even though he was too shy himself to speak. So around 2005, I think he started to like kind of withdraw himself even more, and he was even more angry. Um, but he did find residency in a condominium in Osaka. Uh, this condo, there was also two sisters that were living there, not too far away from the unit that he was living in. Um, their names were Asuka and Chihiro Uchi um, Uchara. My apologies if I mispronounced their name. Um, the sisters did not know Yukio at all. They were just there living their lives, but because they were just there living their lives, they might, may have passed Yukio in the hallway. Either way, they somehow caught his eye, and he was smitten by them, especially Asuka. But what was so special about her was apparently she looked like someone that Yukio had dated in the past, or someone that he had just been smitten by. So he had developed this whole fantasy in his head that he was either going to go out with her, or he had gone out with her. So he ended up completely stalking these sisters over this period of time. So he would stalk their routine, and ended up discovering the unit that they lived in. So, on the 16th of November, 2005, he decided to see if there was anybody that was living in the unit along with them to see if he was going to have any trouble. So, while he was doing that, he decided um, he was going to attempt to break in, so he did successfully break into that unit discovered it was just the two sisters that were living there. So, he was able to go in and leave without 
any kind of suspicion raising on him that day. And the following day is when he decided to make his move, so like he was not scared at all. And that is fucking terrifying when you boil it down to it. Like he clearly didn't have a major plan about it, he just decided that he was gonna do it. And it, it's absolutely bone chilling when you think about it, somebody just making a plan that they're just gonna break into your house and not really knowing if anybody is there and just doing it. But the following day on the 17th, he decides to ambush and attack Asuka when she come home and he shoves her inside, assaults her, trigger warning, he rapes her and he does the same to Chihiro as well when she comes in. And as well as uses a butcher's knife to brutally and fatally stab both of the girls in the face and chest. Now, his expressions of his feelings were that he was in complete euphoria when he saw the reactions of these girls while he was doing the attack. Um, this is completely disgusting and I am completely appalled by the way that he describes this, the way that he just talks about how euphoric it is, the feeling that he got while he was attacking these victims. How he says that he got a complete erection while he continuously attacked them and heard their screams. And what is even more disturbing about it was he said it unlocked a memory in the back of his head with his mother as well so not only with these girls but with his mother his own mother he was getting an erection and not only that but fucking ejaculating literally ejaculating at not just at the thought, but actually at the action of causing harm and killing women, innocent lives, it's just so fucking gross. <sighs> yeah. But, um, after the murder, he stepped out to have a smoke on their balcony and stole about the equivalent of $50 from them as well as Asuka's favorite lighter before he decided to set the room on fire before walking out of the apartment so it wasn't bad enough that he assaulted and raped and all of that no he had to steal and decided to just commit arson as well but he wasn't the smartest of criminals. He left DNA all over the scene. And I guess he thought setting a fire was going to just, you know, completely wipe away all of that evidence. But firefighters were called to extinguish the fire. And, of course, they found the bodies. 
and immediately it turned into a homicide investigation, but they were still able to detect fingerprints in many locations of the walls of the unit and parts of the walls that had not been set ablaze yet. And it wasn't too much long later, on the 5th of December, he was brought in for questioning. But the reason he had been brought in for questioning was because he had been trespassing in the adjacent unit to the women's unit, to the sisters' unit. So the police saw it as a way to call him in because he had been in close proximity. But he just immediately started talking about where they could find all of the evidence and stuff. Like, he just started singing about it like he was so proud. And he just started talking. Like I said, the reason I killed them was because I had a lot of fun. I couldn't forget when I killed my mother a long time ago. I decided to kill again, and I killed them. The target could have been anyone, not just these two. I just wanted to see blood. That's the exact way that he put it. And they found, of course, Asuka's favorite lighter on his person. I mean, with a confession like that and physical evidence on his body, it was just... It was like money in the bag right there. And they also said that the prosecutor was a beautiful woman. And it was evident that Yukio loved pretty women, so... It was just like he was willingly telling them everything that they needed to know. So, he was charged with double homicide, and the evidence was so damning. So, it was very clear that he was going to go down. So, the prosecution started to paint this story of a cold-blooded murderer who was just gaining pleasure for lustful crimes. They wanted to seek out the death penalty. And he seemed more than happy to help them, too, like Yukio had no point in living life. He admitted that he would probably just murder again if they were to release him back into the public. He had no regrets about murdering his mother, is what he was now admitting. And he didn't even regret murdering those sisters. Which is very unsettling, and when you sit there and just think about it, was he just telling them back then as a juvenile what he thought they wanted to hear so they'd let him out? Because that's even more scary. But of course, you know, he did get a defense attorney. I'm sure that was assigned to him. But the defense tried to state, <clears throat> in reference earlier mentioning of how Yukio had a hard time with relationships and he couldn't differentiate between right or wrong. And they argued, you know, he wasn't competent to stay in trial. Like, there was something that was clearly wrong with him. And, like, he needed a psychiatric evaluation because this is not a normal person here. Like, there is something further deep down that we need to look at. So, of course, they granted the evaluation. And the evaluation showed that Yukio had back then what they called Asperger's Syndrome. Uh, now people say that's just a part of the autism spectrum disorder. Um, so they said, of course, he's unfit for trial because he has this condition. But 
I, I kind of digress here because, you know, I know it's not a one-for-all, speak-for-all, because that doesn't free you of accountability for everything. I mean, my brother, he is on the spectrum as well, and I've got plenty of people in my family that are on the spectrum. We all have, we all know people, or we ourselves could possibly be on the spectrum of autism or have a mental illness ourselves. We all go through things. We all have had issues. And we all know damn too well that just because you're going through something does not mean you cold-bloodedly just murder somebody and express how you feel like you get a hard-on and you just drip your seat all over it. Like, just, no. I'm sorry, but no. And the judge wasn't buying the argument either. The judge said, yeah, fuck no. He's competent to stand trial. Especially since Yukio himself said that he was adamant he would commit these murders again. So, in May of 2006, Yukio pled guilty to the murder of the sisters. And he said himself, in the expectation of the death penalty, he said he did not fear death. And his defense team reiterated this and said that he did not fear death because he had no desire to live and it would be impossible for him to repent his sins because of this. So they handed down the death penalty to him and the judge was noted by saying these haunting words. The defendant is demonically possessed with killing people. The victims were killed amid unimaginable fear and pain and it is inevitable for me and this country to hand down capital punishment. And just like that, in 2009, at the age of 25 years old, Yukio was executed, making him one of the youngest people since 1972 in Japanese history to be executed. So, I mean, what is there to take from this? Many people feel like this was a case where, I mean, at least in Japan, there was a failure of the system to support mental illness and a failure to support people especially who were financially less off. And there was also arguments of leniency when there were clear signs of aggression in the early stages, especially for Yukio in his life. I mean, do you think it could have easily been prevented, or do you think it's just another one of those cases where it's hindsight's 50-50? Or do you think it's just something where, no matter what you could have done, this was just somebody that, no matter what you could have done for them, they were just doomed from the get-go? I would genuinely like to know, because it just seems like for him, maybe this was something where he could not have been helped. I don't know, because it's, the more I read into his case, the more it genuinely seemed like it could have gone either way for him. Let me know what you guys think. I would, I would literally love to hear your answers here. So if you would like to give me your answer, or if you would like to request a new episode or anything, 
just let me know. You can email me at manicmanorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also just let me know in the comments. I will put this up on YouTube as well, Manic Manor Podcast. Um, You can also reach out at Facebook or Instagram. Same thing, Manic Manor Podcast. Um, I guess that is it for this episode. Until the next one, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. And I hope you guys stay safe and healthy out there. And until always, we'll see you in the next one. Bye.